We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And last night, Lakers lost pretty decisively to the Golden State Warriors in Golden State. Uh, it started out, uh, the first 20 minutes or so of that game was a good competitive game. Uh, from the Lakers' defensive side, start out in a drop against Steph, which is always playing with fire, and, and he burned him. Uh, but Lakers were game. AD started out with a, a big first quarter, and I think it was a one or three point game after one. And then to start the second quarter, uh, Jackson Hayes had a lot several offensive rebounds and was, you know, had a monster dunk off of a roll. But on the other side of the floor, Lakers could not get uh get a stop. And Trace Jackson Davis has a big stretch with like eleven or thirteen points in four or six minutes or so. And the Lakers were very mixed up in their coverages. And this is something we'll get more into as this pod goes on. Uh and then a uh, big push at the end of the second quarter. Dinwiddie picks up his third foul, which I thought was kind of decisive. Max came in the game, and we ended up giving up a run to close the second quarter, 67 to 56, I believe, at the end of the first half. And then Golden State continued to pull away in the third quarter, and it was barely ever under 10 from there on out and wasn't competitive to close the game. D, you were there. Uh, it was type of game where in the the chess theme, I thought that they had us at, at checkmate uh, at, at one point with the different considering the personnel issues, kind of the natural way of playing. They're a team that tests your foot speed as much as anybody. And it's hard to do that, play a team like that as your first team out of a nine game break for one. But between the personnel, they were more organized than us, which is something that we could be better at, particularly on defense. I, I thought that they it was just a game where they had us. Um, but what was your view? You were there uh, and you always see different things from from the arena. Yeah, I thought that you laid out the flow of the game really well. The thing I would point out is at the beginning, Steph really kept them in it. And so his mm-hmm. shot making, he started six for eight from from the field and um, including four or five from from three. So there was a stretch where really none of the Warriors could hit shots, but Steph could. So of their first 26 points, Steph had 16 of them and he was six for eight and the rest of the team was um, four for 16. So. He had 16 points and the rest of the team had 10. 
on 16 yeah. shots. It would have been a 10-point lead for the Lakers early on without him yeah, going off like and, that. Yeah. And you noted that the Lakers were in drop. Like, AD was at the level or a step below the level. On two of Steph's threes, though, they were just, like, good Warriors yeah. plays. Like, they did a screen rescreen where Austin got over the top on the first screen, and then Draymond expertly flipped the screen, like, a beat right after that. And AD got wrong-sided on that so even if he was at the level he's on the wrong side right and Steph got a clean look on another one AD was at or above the level and Steph was like 30 feet out and he just bombed a three and after that just the way that AD turned he was sort of looking in my direction like I could see his face you could just see him mutter like basically this mf'er and that's what Steph Curry does and so I thought the Lakers ability to hang in there in the face of that sort of shot making from Steph and their ability to sort of play a close game for as long as they did in a game that going in, I was fairly convinced the Lakers were not going to win this mm -hmm. game. Likewise. Right. Yeah. Like I was kind of encouraged. So when the Warriors went on their run, I thought the Lakers lost the rope. Their defensive challenges really showed up in that run to close the second quarter and the Warriors ability to speed defenses up and get them out of sorts and get them into scramble modes, even when the play is just normal. Right. And so it's just like, oh, it's a kick out. But the rush That's their normal offense. That's what flow offense is supposed to be. They're sort of that like accelerated version. They're the godfathers of the style of offense we've been talking about all year where they are going five, six, seven progressions deep on just read and react principles. And eventually you're going to make a mistake. And so I always say that Golden State puts you in the mixer, which sort of speaks to that they scramble you type of point. I also think this is why a guy like Rui has a little bit of difficulty on the yeah. defensive end. He was the, the team low in plus minus yesterday, and they're a team that's kind of neutralized him. I'm curious your thoughts on him particularly within this. Yeah, I think defensively Rui is going to have some challenges. I think Golden State offered a natural matchup for him and his individual play, like his individual matchup, he was guarding Kaminga. Kaminga didn't have a particularly good night. Some of that was Kaminga just, just missing shots, but also like Rui's a good enough athlete to stay in front of him and not let him like barrel right through him for baskets the way that Kaminga was doing later in the game when he got switches and was playing against guards. I thought individually in the right matchup, Rui was fine in isolation stuff. Where it's problematic for him is when he has to rush to close out and then slide his feet to move back and then get in rotation and then rush to close out again and then staying with a guy on a driving kick. It's that sort of, can you close out and then meet the angle of the attack of the closeout? Because the Warriors force you to close all the way out to the three-point line to run them off. And this is where I thought the Lakers defense really struggled from a wear and rotation standpoint is a lot of times against most teams, you can close out right to the line or even close out short because you're comfortable with whatever is going to happen next. And the Warriors have a couple of players where that's the right strategy to do until those guys hit a couple of threes. And then you start to second guess. So Draymond hit his first two threes. Wiggins hit an early three. 
Kaminga, while he wasn't shooting the ball well at all, there was a possession where he was out there and, and AD was on him. This was in the second half. And then he pulls up and hits a three. And it's just like, okay, well, if these are the shots that are going in, now do we have to close out to everyone? And if you have to close out to everyone, the game is over. Yes. That's the fundamental problem that Golden State poses for you. Yeah. So I just thought Rui was just sort of caught in the mix of some lineups that weren't as good and also like his where he struggles in particular against the Warriors was like getting exposed a little bit. But I don't really put anything on Rui specifically. It's just like, oh, your plus minus was bad. It's all your fault or anything like that. Yeah, no, I I wanted to have this conversation because I think one of the major themes on the pod this year has been playing Rui and, and starting Rui and just what is Rui's role within the team. And we've seen the team play better when he's had an expanded role. I think that a game like this, though, and Golden State in particular, is a team that it provides some of the evidence for the argument for why he wasn't, right? And that's not to say that overall that was the correct decision. I don't think that was the case. But your point about the way that Golden State makes you defend, it's a lot of lateral movement. All those actions that you were describing in rotation, you got to close out to a guy and then slide back and recover. You have to both recognize the next thing that's about to happen and slide laterally. And that's something that at Rui's size, we've talked about Rui's foot speed being problematic defensively. And I was talking to Jeannie yesterday about this and she brought up a good point. Like Rui ran track. And if you watch him in transition, like the idea that Rui can't run is... Absurd. For a guy his size, he actually runs very well, but it's a straight line type of thing where what you're talking about, it's a lot of lateral movement. And this is something where Rui being as big as he is and as bulky as he is kind of works against him because that's a lot of, there's so many situations in basketball where you're having to read, okay, am I going to have to go here or here, particularly on defense? And so if you think about that in the, the physical act of doing that, sometimes you might be leaning to your right a little bit. And then the way that the play went, oh, actually I have to move to my left. And if you're a a bigger guy, the way that Rui is, it takes a little longer for you to stop all that momentum that was starting to slide right to go back to your left. And so that is something that when Rui can be neutralized by this style of offense and you're also without LeBron and Vando, like what's your athletic size at that point? It's AD and Jackson Hayes who came with some complications as well. So let's take a break and come back and keep it going. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, so one thing I was going to say about Rui Pete is that if he was a football player, he's a defensive end and not a cornerback, right? Yes. And What's the so, difference? Well, it's just like if you're a defensive back or playing corner, especially, it's just like they always talk about being able to flip your hips because like you really do need that change of direction ability. And so as a guy attacks you and says, like, oh, he can go left or right, you need to be able to, to flip your hips and get to where this guy's going. And... A defensive end is just like, I'm getting up the field and I'm going to go get the quarterback. And Rui's very good at that yep. aspect of things. But if you ask him to change direction a bunch of times, he's not going to be as good at that. And the Warriors test you in those ways. There's also a lot of like screen navigation stuff and a lot of recognition on top of this too, where like, not only are you being challenged to move side to side, it's like, is it this or that? And you have to choose very quickly. Look, the Warriors do this to everyone and they do it to smart defenders too. Like I saw Austin get beat on a split cut for a backdoor layup. It's just like, it's going to happen to even your, your most locked in mentally. Defenders. They've been doing this for 10 years, man, with some of, or in Steph's case, the best to ever do it as a shooter, you know? Yeah, second, so it's a lot of second nature stuff. So, like, we came into the pod yesterday talking before the pod and during the pod and even after the pod that we didn't necessarily expect the Lakers to win this game, and they didn't. Whatever frustrations I had during the point of the game where the game was close, and then suddenly the Warriors go on a run. And then you're hoping that the Lakers could come back to make a little push. Like there was a frustration period in there. But my frustration was gone by like the end of the game just because I was just like, well, this is sort of how I envision things going. Um, I actually, like I said earlier in the pod, I was I was actually encouraged by their ability to hang with a Warriors team where the way that the Lakers are going to beat the Warriors is through their skilled, their combination of skill and athleticism with their size. Like the combination of LeBron, AD, Rui, and even Wood to a certain extent, and Hayes, and then Vando, like all of those guys together are going to pose a problem for a Warriors team or any other team that doesn't have like a bunch of size in their back pocket as well. It's one of the reasons why they've given issues to the Thunder and why they've beaten the Clippers a couple of times this season. It's just like that can be too much for wing built teams. 
And last night, the Lakers, I wrote this in my recap that went up at Lakers.com, but the this game was played and lost by the Lakers on the Warriors' terms. They 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 played small and their small players weren't as good at doing the small player things as the Warriors small like like small players. And this is a formula the Warriors have used for their entire time. It's like our small ball group is better than your small ball group. And we've got enough of the athleticism and defense and tenacity yep. to like rebound and defend and protect the paint and They've done that better than everyone else. So they make you play their style. Hey, match up with us. And then they bludgeon you in ways where you're just like, well, I, I wasn't expecting. Yeah, this, this is how I'm used to playing basketball. <laughs> yes. I, one of my favorite coaches I ever coached against was a guy who trapped and pressed the whole game. And that has its limitations for sure. But he... Looked for kids that had great motor that were going to, but like maybe they weren't the most skilled guys, but they were going to bust their ass on every rotation, high hands on every trap. And you do it the whole game. And his argument was that he asked me one time, he was like, how much time do you spend during practice working on your offense, on your half court offense? I said, I don't know. 35, 40%, right? You got to work on transition concepts. We worked a little more on defense than we did on offense. Um, so yeah, it's, and he, I said, well, when you play us, how often do you get to run it? And I was like, 0% of the time. And so his argument was that we force you to play a different style of basketball. We are used to playing that style of basketball and you are not. And so we are going to beat you at playing that style of, of ball. And so a point within that that you made though, D, that I think is worth exploring more that I thought this game was a great test of. And part of the reason why I had very low expectations about it was the, they can put size. We talk about them going small, but defensively, that was the best perimeter defense that we've played in a minute. And when you're also without your best power perimeter player in LeBron, the guy you can give the ball to that, yeah, you want to ball pressure LeBron James, good luck. He's going to get blow past you and get right, right to the basket. Well, that responsibility gets shifted over to D'Lo. And that is something that he started out struggling. And I wouldn't say overall, he had a good game by any means. But I thought that game on some levels was a step in the right direction to sort of conquering that last hurdle that he has, right? Of when he's been in the playoffs, when he struggled, it's been a Bruce Brown, bigger and stronger, more athletic. Uh, ben Simmons, one year when he was in Brooklyn and Simmons was in Philly. Uh, Jimmy Butler was on that team as well. It's, uh, I, I believe it was, Mc, or who was it that was guarding him from Memphis? But they had like Brooks and Bain when they played them in the playoff series as well, right? And so, that to me is you put aside all the stuff about, oh, he can't do this, can't do that. I don't think that's true. I think he struggles against guys that are bigger and more athletic than him. He's certainly not the first. I thought he made strides kind of over the course of that game, but he got a lot of reps at that. Started out kind of rough, though. So walk me through what you saw from Delo's game. So a couple of things that Delo did that I thought was very good is that he – he put his head down and was basically just like, I'm going to try to get to to the basket. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. D'Lo's not an explosive athlete. And so he sort of gets to his spot eventually. And he sort of slithers and snakes and does these sort of like um, low dribbles and then put, and uh. then like takes a short step into a big step. And it's just like suddenly he's four feet away from the basket and he's flipping up a little shot. 
one of the things I've been cracking up watching him, maybe I just didn't notice it before, but it seems like now more than ever, on every dribble, he does like a shoulder fake inside out type of dribble. Like he'll do this three times on the way to the basket off of one pick and roll. And he talk about putting guys in the mixer. This is something that he'll do sometimes where he does so many of them. He only got to catch the defender with one of those fakes. And it's either a layup for himself or a lob to somebody else. So I think that's part of why I'm encouraged, though, is that Dilo's got to win with guile. And I think that that's something that even throughout the course of that game, he, he did more and more of. Yeah, there's a determination to it as well, right? And so Dilo went, I think, six for 15 from from the field. He went three for nine from three. Um, he started out one for seven from three. And so he made his his last two during a part of the game where it was like not as competitive. Um, and so make of that what what you will. I'm of the mind that it's important for him to see the ball go in. And so I'm glad that he ended on a positive note of the ball going in some. He was three for six on twos. A couple of those were like not great, like I'm foul hunting or I'm in the post and trying to shoot over the top of a guy. The other ones, though, were like straight drives to the basket. And he missed a couple, but he made three of them. All three of his two point makes were in the paint. And it's going to be important for him to find his way there. He also, again, led the Lakers with nine assists. And so the thing that I've come to appreciate about him basically since he came back from the hip, but even before that, because early during the season, I thought he was playing really good basketball and really getting no recognition for how he was playing. And then he had that really rough stretch in December and he went to the bench and I thought he should have given been given a little bit more rope, even though I was like super frustrated with his ups and downs. But against the Warriors, it was good to see him basically understand, oh, I'm the one that they're going to put size on because they couldn't guard Rui with Pajemski. So Pajemski had to guard one of the guards and they put Pajemski on Austin. So that tells you the hierarchy of how things are viewed. And so Kerr's just like, oh no, the guy who I really have to slow down is actually D'Angelo Russell. I thought Austin did well then in his matchup, even though they played him differently. So I'd love to get to that in a second too. But D'Lo, I thought, did what he needed to do within the context of what that game presented, considering who was in and who was out. Nine assists to three turnovers. The three ball wasn't falling, but I thought his efforts in trying to get into the paint and score in the paint were effective, and he'll need to keep that mentality up even when LeBron comes back because that will be super useful. I love that, and I think that 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 plays to a big part of the point that that I wanted to make. You know, they they were putting Wiggins and Kuminga on him, as as you said, and one of the things that. Golden State does while doing that. If you notice, the, they are trying to funnel Laker guards toward the sidelines. And they did this really well in the last game. And the way that you do that, next time you watch a Golden State game when they're ball pressuring guards, you'll see the player position, whether it's Wiggins or Kaminga, their shoulders are square to the sidelines, right? And so they're guarding their guy, but their feet and their shoulders are, it, they're literally facing the sidelines. And so they do a great job of funneling. And that can be difficult. If you are at an athleticism disadvantage as a guard, because you have to make passes over the top 
And so if you're smaller and less athletic, it's because a lot of times that skip pass is going to be what's available because they have to zone up behind that since the on-ball defender is not staying necessarily in front of the guard. He's trying to funnel him toward the sideline. And so those guards that those on-ball guards like D'Lo, like Austin, have to make those passes over longer, more athletic type of guys. And so we saw a couple of Austin's passes get deflected. Didn't really see that with D'Lo. He had two turnovers at the beginning of the third that were kind of bad reads. But that was one thing that I was really encouraged by. Now, the uh, the intensity of that will turn up as we get into deeper into the season and knock on wood if we can make the playoffs. Um, but I was really encouraged how D'Lo navigated that, that whole idea of like, he still got as good shots despite his own individual shot, not, not falling. And then, um, but with his individual shot, it's funny, you were talking about like the bad misses. I don't remember if this was on the pot or if it was in our conversation before, but several of our threes that were missed, whether it was Prince or D'Lo were like, that's not even close. And, <laughs> you know, and D'Lo gets sped up by those bigger athletic guys in ways where I was talking to you guys in the thread about this last night, where it's like, even when he's wide open on a jump, jumper, he's so used to doing things faster than he's than he wants to do them, that he's way off on his jumper when we can also see him be like, hit five in a row, three of which were really tough shots. And so I thought that there were, the Lakers made a couple pushes in that game. And when Golden State still had intensity, when Golden State turned their intensity back up a bit, I thought he navigated that better in the second half, in the the, the parts where where that happened, after those first two, two turnovers than he did in the first. And so maybe this is me seeing what I want to see, D, but that whole idea of being able to handle the pressure and not get sped up as much, he's still got you know room to grow on in that respect, but... I thought that it was a uh, it was a good step in the right direction. And happy birthday to him, by the way. Yeah. So D'Lo is yes, happy birthday indeed. D'Lo's a a sort of a lightning rod of a player, right? And and people have strong opinions about him. The thing that I'm always looking for with him is what is his floor as a player? And last season, his floor could be so low that it's not like he was unplayable, but the production you needed from him versus the production that you might be getting from from him, there, there was such a chasm between those that it's just like you were better off playing someone who was less talented, who was not going to be as productive at their ceiling, but their floor was just higher than his, that that player was the better option even if they're less talented, right? And what I've appreciated from D'Lo this season is that besides that stretch in December, his floor has been so much higher, particularly in this stretch since he's come back from um, from the injury that kept him out, the, the tailbone bruise. And, and so the Lakers are obviously going to only go as far as like LeBron and AD take them, right? But D'Lo's an integral player in allowing the rest of the team to flourish in a way because of his passing ability and because of his shot making. And so let's go to break here, Pete, because I want to transition from D'Lo to the Lakers of like other guards. And let's talk a little bit about Austin and Spencer Dinwiddie. So Pete Austin had a good game. He had 16 points, a handful of assists, three or four assists. Um, 
shot the ball efficiently, but I thought while the while the Warriors put size on D'Lo, they ran more scheme stuff, I think, to limit Austin. And they denied him the ball a lot. They funneled him into size where he couldn't really get his shot off. And 11 shot attempts is not enough for him on a night that LeBron doesn't play. And I thought his shot attempts were reflective of the defensive approach that the Warriors took against him rather than the individual defender that they placed on him. Tell me, was I seeing that wrong from my vantage no. point or was that what you saw on the telecast as well? No, in fact, I want to hear more of more of what you saw because that you were talking earlier about how they prioritized D'Lo in terms of the personnel that they were going to put on, on him. And so it was like, hey, we're going to put our best point of attack guy on him and then that leaves Pods over onto Austin. And so when there's – now Pods is a really good rotational defender. He leads the league in charges um, or charges drawn. And uh, and so doing that, putting a different guy on the ball and him on the weak side, that is a job that Pods is good at. But it also creates opportunities for Austin. Now, the parts that you're talking about I thought were – a lot more of the on-ball type of situations where Austin had to run ball screens and some of the their ball ball pressure. So their the pressure they put on the guy that has the ball, but also their ball denial, the amount that they can stick with guys off of the ball. And I thought that they switched well. This again, this is they're the godfathers of this, of this style of basketball. And so they were they were kind of a step ahead in a lot of respects that played into the like Austin's gotten better as a point guard, but he still has steps to go. And so one of the reasons you don't see as much schematic stuff necessarily against D'Lo is that D'Lo is a point guard and he's been reading that. And for every scheme, every scheme, there's a way to beat it. There's okay, you're you're in this setup, you're doing, you're blitzing us, you're doing that, then we're gonna do this and beat it. And D'Lo has more of a grasp, especially at that speed, of where that's going to be. And so I'm curious your perspective, though, because I thought it was a lot of deflections and on ball and sort of like point guardy type of stuff. Yeah, I think that that's right. I also thought that they did a good job of like funneling him to help so that where the second defender was lurking enough where he wasn't able to get clean shots off. Like one of the shots that he hit was a late clock fading three. He would have had to have taken more of those sorts of shots if he was going to get shots off because when you get to a certain level offensively as an on-ball player, which Austin is an on-ball player, you start to worry less about your own man and worry about the second and third defender. And so I would always say that like Kobe would never even see the first defender. Now, that's because he had a certain amount of athleticism. And so if you're only worried about the second line and the third line defender, right? Like, okay, where's the immediate help? And then where is the rotation going to go after that? That's such high-level thinking of basketball. I think Austin can think at that level, but he's not athletic enough to necessarily say, I can't not worry about the dude in front of me because that guy's too much of an obstacle. And that, that's part of the reason why he's more valuable off the ball in really good lineups where you can go to him on the ball. But once that advantage has been created, he can see it. He can think it. Right. But it is that like this is something <laughs> I certainly experienced in my very meager playing career was like, yeah, I know you're open on the weak side. But if I try to throw this pass, it's going to get like I can't get it to you, you know. And so that I, I think you're spot on with that. 
So one of the things I thought the Warriors did well with him was show him where the second defender was while the person on the ball was shading him a certain way in order yeah. to put doubt in his mind about what the what the shooting read was and turn him more into a passer. 11 shot attempts again, just not enough for him. But I thought the Warriors and all of the different defenses that they ran, they switched some, they played in some zone, they did a variety of things to sort of gum up the Lakers attack. I, I know we wanted to talk about Dinwiddie, but if we could just linger on this point for a moment, this is Please. something that I don't know if it's too late, but if you're going to play small as we have for a good part of the season, and right now, you know, circumstances dictate you don't really have much much of a choice uh, if LeBron and Vando aren't playing, but having zone type of looks and having different schematic stuff that you can go to. That's one thing that I've been thinking about. We've talked so much about lineups the first two two thirds of this season. I think that on both ends of the floor, schematic stuff is really going to be the, the, the bigger part to close this season. Because I think that they're closer to the optimized type of lineups, especially once guys come back. But Watching Golden State be able to go to, oh, they're in a box and one on this play. They're in a one, two, two zone on this play. They're running a drop on that play. And to be able to go from one to the other, it's kind of some, it, it's some of that like uncharted territory for us. Well, not uncharted, but we don't have, we can't switch and go to like, oh, we've got AD and Hayes on the floor. Now we're going to show higher or blitz the, the ball screen and everybody kind of knows what they're doing. That was that big old run that uh, Jackson Davis went on was like guys got lost when trying to run a different kind of defense over and over again. And we called the timeout and just stopped doing it. And so that to me is a little bittersweet to watch another team be that organized. Now, again, they've been doing it for years, but that is sort of aspirational for this Lakers team. Totally. Well, some of it too is just like, and I'm not calling the Lakers players dumb by any means, but it's just like the Warriors are stacked with a bunch of like high IQ defensive players, right? And it's, so you were talking about pods earlier and being someone who's a very good positional defender. It's just like a part of what he does well too is like understanding where he's supposed to be on any given possession. Like I was watching um, before the game started, the Clippers game was on in the media room and the Clippers played the Thunder and the Thunder beat them after it being close. And I caught a couple of possessions of Gordon Hayward, who the Thunder acquired at the trade deadline from the Hornets. And Hayward had a couple of possessions where he was just like very much in the right place defensively, helping early and then rotating off and just being where he's supposed to be. And part of that is experience because he's in because he's a veteran player. But part of that too is just a natural aptitude for where you're supposed to be defensively within the context of all of these, these different schemes. And the Lakers had such a hodgepodge mix of like players available too, right? And, and so, oh yeah, like they're playing Dinwiddie. Guys are being asked to do different jobs than they're normally asked to do. Yeah, yeah. Right. So they're playing Dinwiddie, who's brand new to the team. And Darwin spoke about this earlier, that so much of what's going on with Dinwiddie about getting him up to speed is more about terminology than it is um, that than it is schematic. But I actually think they were talking more about like offensive stuff than they were defensive stuff. The Warriors test you in ways defensively where if you're not in lockstep with everything you want to do, then you can get hurt 
by that. Max played for the first time in a long time. They're playing some of these groups where it was like four guards. From a matchup perspective, it made sense to play those groups. So I'm not like, oh, Darwin, what are you doing? You should have been playing bigger here. Like there was one stretch where they did have Jackson Davis and Sarich on the floor and the Lakers were playing too small at that point and they got beat a couple times, but whatever. But for the most part, I just thought that the Lakers were not used to rotating from the spots of the floor that they were like, oh, you're low man here. You have to pick up the role man here. I thought a lot of what happened last night defensively could be attributed to that. It wasn't only that, but it was part of that, right? And that's why, to your point earlier, having viable zone looks and all of that stuff would be helpful. But let's be real here. The Lakers aren't practicing very much. Even if they tried to hold a practice tomorrow, how many players would they have available in order to practice? Or at least this was definitely the case before the All-Star break when Max was hurt too. And we got an update before the game. Um, Darwin got asked about Max and Cam, right? And he's like, Cam is still not ready. And that's why Cam didn't play and Max did. And then he got asked about Vando and Gabe and it was sort of, um, yeah, like status quo with them. So basically no update. So maybe they'll be reevaluated this week or next week, but there was no alluding to a timeline for them to get a new update about those guys. So this is the group the Lakers have. Now, post-game, it sounded like LeBron will play tonight against the Spurs, and that will be super helpful just because, obviously, because he's LeBron James, but also, too, just to have another dude with some size available because last night I thought the Lakers just didn't have enough of that against the Warriors team where if you're going to beat them, you don't try to beat them on their terms, you beat them on your own terms. And the Lakers have been pretty successful at that over the last couple of seasons. So I don't take away a lot from last night's game in that regard. The Lakers do play again tonight, though. Did you want to hit the Spurs at all before we head out of here? Yeah, we'll we'll wrap up here. We'll wrap up here. All that said, the Lakers get a chance to get it back tonight. Got Wemby and the Spurs. Just as a quick note, if I had a rookie of the year vote, that to me is, he is... Far and away, that guy, uh, to me, it's one of those galaxy brain things where I, I really like Chet Holmgren. I think he's going to make multiple all-star teams, but I don't know. Wemby's a special guy, and he's not on a very good team, but really looking forward to watching him play tonight. Uh, hopefully, Lakers get the W. We will be back on Monday, uh, but until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left, Van Exel to win it, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston, of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, score. Listen. Bryant. Unbelievable. It's over. 
Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.